we continue our worship by hearing God's Word, and I invite you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. I believe it's page 867 in the Blue Pew Bible. I really urge you, you've got a Bible there, go ahead and open it and follow along in the Bible. Uh, Don't just take my word for it. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, and this is the Word of God. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately... The leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, who was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question him within, that they thus question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, 
Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, at these, in these next few moments, we pray that you would help us to look upon Jesus Christ with clarity. I pray, Holy Father, that according to your mercies, you would bring a great healing to this land, to our nation. Lord, the wickedness is great among us and we need your healing hand. We recognize there is no pit too deep that you are not deeper still And so we ask, Lord, that you would have mercy. Have mercy on this city and on this country. We pray that you would grant repentance, even as we have heard about this last week. Grant repentance to those who would be teaching wickedness to children. We also pray that you would remove wicked men from their places of influence. We thank you that the gospel that saves from wickedness and saves even from the just damnation that we deserve. We thank you that this gospel is offered freely to all. And so we pray that many would repent of their sins and flee from the wrath to come. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be agents of grace, agents of your undeserved favor that you have shown to us, that we would be ambassadors of the light of the gospel. We pray that we would hold forth the cross where even the horror of judgment was swallowed up by love. We pray, Lord, that you would help us then to be those kind of people who speak as those who have truly been delivered from what we deserve. We thank you that this church sends out ministers to serve other places. We pray for Pastor Gavin Peacock as he is down in North Carolina right now at this at uh, a church down there where he's speaking multiple times. We pray that you would help him to minister to those folks there. We pray for Pastor Jeff Meadows as he ministers out at Grace Cochran this morning. We pray for that church as it goes through this time of transition. We ask that you'd use Jeff's preaching to awaken people out there and to encourage their hearts. And Lord, as we come to you needing you, needing your help in this day of great trouble and crisis, we ask that your word would come to us now and that we would receive the very words of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I invite you to take your seats. I do think, and I hope, I trust you would agree, that our world is in a crisis. Our society is in such a, such a crisis that I think it requires truly emergency measures. The fact that men dressed as women are permitted to indoctrinate children with the teaching of sexual immorality in taxpayer-funded public spaces is evidence of an emergency. And I'm not speaking politically. I had somebody ask me, a week, a week ago, whether I was engaged in political talk. No, this is a moral emergency. It is a spiritual 
emergency. Let me be clear. The crisis that we face right now, as has ever been, is the crisis of dark hearts. And it is the heart of darkness that is planning and promoting and protecting such things. And that is why hearing who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark is so strikingly relevant. It is just vivid in its relevance because Mark records for us how Jesus applies powerful, authoritative, emergency measures. He is not afraid to enter into the heart of darkness and he deals with impossible problems or ones that we would think are impossible. He brings catharsis. He cures. And He calls. And that's essentially my outline. And I'll tell you what, in our polluted, our paralyzed, and our prejudiced world, Jesus is the only one with the authority to forgive our debt of sin lest that debt come due. He is the only one. And so, if you brave the roads to be here, I'm just so thankful that you're here so that you can learn about who this Christ is, who is able to enter into your emergency, into the crisis that you find yourself in. So, it's kind of like the way that you need to wash a dirty wound We, each of us, is needing to know whether or not Jesus can provide the emergency catharsis that all of us need. And so if you're coming this morning with woes and troubles and cares and concerns, you've come to the right place. And I'm inviting you to come to Christ. Now that's what we have here in Mark chapter 1. We have this leper, someone with the disease of leprosy, this this incurable disease in the ancient world. Now, when the leper came to Jesus, as we just read, uh, this leper, he didn't question whether or not Jesus had the power to heal him. He did wonder whether or not Jesus actually wanted to. It's funny, maybe not funny, haha, but just funny, strange. I think that's the way a lot of us think. We might say that God is powerful, He's able to do this, that, or the other, but we question whether He would actually want to. We question His character. We question his generosity. We question whether he'd be willing. We know there are many people you could go to. You can ask them for help. You can seek them out for help. But then the question is, are they actually willing to help you? Right? I mean, that's kind of how it is in our world. And so the, the leper asks, he, he says, if I rearrange it, kind of looking at the original, you can make me clean, if you will, if you want to. That's what he's saying. 
You, you can make me clean if you want to. And Mark records for us something that is utterly amazing. He records for us the emotions of Jesus Christ. The emotional life of Christ, as B.B. Warfield described it. It says, verse 41, moved with pity. See, this powerful Messiah, he, he felt things. He was moved by the pitiful sight of this leper. And what did Jesus do? He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will. I will. This morning, I encourage you, you ought never doubt the willingness of the Savior. And I know you're coming and and you've had those doubts, and I've had those doubts, that God maybe just doesn't really want to help me. Never doubt His willingness. Never doubt His disposition to be merciful to you. Never doubt His authority even to create what He commands, for He said, be clean. Be clean. He creates what He commands. He says it, and the man is clean, healed, cleansed. It's an amazing thing to show the willingness of the Messiah, the willingness of Jesus Christ. And He commands it, and it happens. Now, verses 43 to 45 tell us that Jesus wanted the leper to not only be healed of the skin disease, which was one thing, and you would think that's the only thing, but but He actually wanted him healed of the social stigma too. Because Jesus told him to go and make the sacrifice that had been ordained from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. And in that way, that healed man who, had, who formerly had been removed from society because of his ceremonial uncleanness as well as, his, as, as, well as the uncleanness of his epidermis, that he would act, that healed man would be recognized and then welcomed back into regular society. No more social stigma. Of course, a healing like this brought Jesus a lot of local fame. And he was mobbed by people. And, and you've got to think, here is then this leper who has gone from this incurable, trapped, impossible disease to being not only cleansed of it, it being removed, but being welcomed back into regular society and rubbing shoulders with everybody. You know, isn't it amazing, you know, how you don't have to social distance now? You can rub shoulders with each other and breathe on each other again. Oh yeah, you didn't like that part. <laughs> don't breathe on me, please. But now even this former leper could join those crowds in coming to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I know you're sitting here and there is many among you who are coming here this morning and you feel dirty. You you feel like a leper of sorts in your social circle, 
in this society or in, a, in your family or, or whatever that grouping is. And, and, and then you start realizing, well, yeah, but I, I am polluted. I am contaminated. I am marked with various contagions. If you don't think you're polluted, you know, just ask, well, why, why is it that you still need mouthwash? Why is it that you still need deodorant? Right? Some of you need more than others, maybe. Anyways. <laughs> little B.O. there. That's a B.O. joke, yeah. But the point is, what about the pollution of our hearts? It's expressed in our bodies. The pollution of our hearts, polluted with selfishness, polluted with greed, polluted with anger and unbelief. At issue then is whether or not you actually believe Jesus has the power to cleanse you, but also, even more, do you believe that He is willing willing to perform this emergency catharsis on your soul and make you clean in His eyes, make you clean before His heavenly Father. See, that word that He gave to the leper is actually a word for you and a word for me. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And the only reason you wouldn't be is because you just simply don't want Him to help you. You don't want His help. You want to somehow clean yourself up. And it doesn't work. Never doubt His willingness to cleanse you, to heal you, to want to command for you to be clean and before God then to be viewed as clean and to restore you even to God's own society which is the most important thing. That's what we need this morning. We need this emergency catharsis just like the leper did. But when we see in this narrative, we see all this healing stuff, and I think it raises, especially in our day, it raises a very serious question. The question is this, who has the right to give emergency medical treatment? Who's got the right? That's kind of the ethics that we talk about in the news and in society today. And why is it? Because there's that big question of liability. You know, is the person qualified to prescribe a pharmaceutical? You know, have they been trained and given an authoritative credential so that they can perform a medical procedure properly? Of course, you know, I think about this on the farm. The, the only qualification you needed to give medical care was owning a first aid kit. If you had a first aid kit, you could do anything. Let's spray some of this on. Uh, nah, wrap that up. Oh, it's good as new. And eh, it's a long way from your heart. You know, that's the diagnosis, right? It should be all good. Then the next day you've got to go into emergency. But anyways, that's just personal anecdote but anyways now in the next 12 verses jesus heals again but you, but you might be starting to wonder who does he think he is so after he'd returned from his preaching tour around the sea of galilee he returns to his home base there and he keeps on preaching and and the problem is 
that it was getting very crowded, of course, as they hear about this miracle working that's going on. And so four guys arrive, and they're carrying a man who is paralyzed. Now, I mean, if you've come into this sanctuary and you're carrying a baby bucket, I mean, into this crowded church, you, you, you kind of have some sympathy for the plight of these guys. Where do we sit this guy down? Where's, where do we go? What do we do? Is there space for us? So they, they bring this, this guy in. And, and their, their question, their dilemma is, how, how do they get close to Jesus? That's what they want. They want to get close to Jesus. And you, you, maybe you've heard this story before as we just read it. You, this story of this ingenuity to open up the roof and lower down this paralytic man basically onto center stage. But verse 5, of course, is the critical verse. And we read verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith. Such a strange way of putting it. But this is kind of the first striking thing to see. Jesus could see visibly that these four men wanted Jesus to act on behalf of their paralyzed associate. It might have been a paralyzed friend. It might have even been this paralyzed master, and they're, they're actually his servants or slaves. But they were going to stop at nothing to try to get this paralyzed man close to Jesus. They believed in Jesus, and, and they weren't going to let some inconvenience of the inconvenience of lineups or the inconvenience of a flimsy roof stand in their way. They wanted to get closer to Christ. Now, their faith didn't save the paralytic. There is no sense in which our faith saves somebody else, just to be clear about that. But their faith did assist in bringing the man to Jesus. And this is all any of us can do. I'm not saving anybody up here. I don't save anybody. All I can do is, is just kind of point to Jesus. Jesus is the one who does the saving. We can bring people to him, but he has to be the one who does the saving work. And so in this instance, Jesus then said the words to the paralytic, and, and they were words that almost you can think it, they would have echoed all the way to the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, your, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you might be familiar with it so you don't catch the gravity of it. But at that point, there was no sacrifice needed. There was, there was no temple ceremony that had to be gone through first. There was nothing. No steps, no process, no journey. Just a simple declaration, direct And Jesus, just right then, boom, he canceled his debt. Your sins are forgiven. It's an amazing declaration. Especially when you see all the apparatus that Jesus just bypassed there. Now, of course, the Jewish leaders, they knew exactly what was going on. 
And they knew that it was only through the temple, through the forgiveness that was to be sought from the one true God, that's the only way that forgiveness could be found. So they said in verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. In other words, he is not somebody who's a good guy. He is a bad guy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And of course, this when you, when you read that, you see that it, the famous argument by the writer C.S. Lewis is actually an older, older one than Lewis even had. But Lewis kind of framed this as, you either, either have to say Jesus is a liar, you know, he can't forgive sins, or you have to say he's a lunatic, you know, he's just saying all this wild, blasphemous stuff, or as Lewis said, he's on the level of calling himself a poached egg. Yeah, it's pretty, you know, you're pretty nutty, I think. You're, you're crazy. Can I use, say somebody's crazy? Yeah, I think I can. Yeah, he's crazy. Or... Or, he is who he claims to be, which is the Lord. So he's either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. But Jesus, he knows what's going on in people's hearts. He he certainly knows what's going on in your heart right now. And he knows what was going on in their murky, polluted hearts. And he said, why do you question these things in your hearts? Verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now for us, for modern people, we all know about walkers and wheelchairs and rehab clinics and spinal treatments. We know about all that stuff. So we want to know if Jesus has the authorization to heal a paralyzed man. Where did this guy get his training? Where did he get his authorization to say that he's going to somehow cure a paralyzed man? But Jesus wants to make it very clear. Authority for treatment is one thing. Authority for atonement is another. He said, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the dude, he rose up and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Just think. Just think of how amazing it is because if it happened today, people would be amazed too. Like, like, like go, go, go over to Foothills. Go to Rocky View. Go to Peter Lougheed. The hospital's in town. And go ask if they would, you know, they would be amazed. But the point here is not the healing. That's the irony. The, that's not the point. The point is Jesus' authority. Because in verse 10, Jesus uses a special phrase. Do you see it there in verse 10? With this phrase, Jesus introduces a unique claim in the first century A.D. He claims that he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, 
That phrase, that title, was not some general description and sort of a Hebraic turn of phrase to say that Jesus was truly a man. That's correct. He was truly a man. Jesus was. Uh, he's, he's the son of Mary and he's the son of God. But he actually wasn't the son of Joseph except by legal adoption. He's not the son of Joseph by biological descent. He's the son of Mary, yes. But the phrase son of man is full of meaning. So in Daniel chapter 7, and I'm just going to read it rather than go on there for sake of time. Daniel chapter 7, just note this. There's a spectacular prophecy given. Apocalyptic prophecy. And it's a vision. And Daniel says in Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see, Son of Man is, is given, he's given the authority of dominion, and he's given it, given it, given, it's given to him by the Ancient of Days. In other words, the Son of Man is actually a title that is co-equal with God. It's a remarkable thing. Therefore, regarding this Son of Man, He has the authority to forgive crimes against divinity. Crimes against divinity. He has dominion from sea to sea to sea, but also to the galaxies, to planets, to the unseen realm of angels and demons over heaven and over hell. He is the Son of Man. He is Lord of all. But in this instance, His clemency shows His authority. He forgives because He can. You, you can't in the way He can. No one else can forgive sins in the way He can. He can. And His clemency shows His authority. And that's what's going on there as He forgives this paralytic man. That's the big issue. Because it's more important, even for the paralytic man, he walks home, it's more important that he's walking to heaven rather than hell. And so he has forgiven his sins. But that brings then, we've seen the emergency catharsis, this emergency cure. That, that brings us then to the emergency call. The calling of this guy named Levi. He's also known as Matthew. And it's a strange little section there in verses 13 through 17. Because this is Levi and he is a tax collector. It, in this situation... Jesus is calling out this guy who's a tax collector and summoning him 
And Jesus then, by getting connected to this tax collector, it seems that Jesus is getting involved with something that would be another social stigma, kind of a a different kind of social contagion, just like we saw with the contagion and the, the, the dysfunction and the problems of leprosy and paralysis. Now, maybe you're one of those, like we, we all do, we all like to think of Jesus' association with the poor, which is true. We think about that, and Jesus, yes, he associated with the poor, and we like to feel very noble about that because we recognize that. But I'll tell you what, I think we're all less comfortable with this idea that Jesus saved people, that we would actually prefer that they would go to hell. There's people, let's be really honest, you're not going to tell me this. There's people that you can think of that you would actually prefer for them to go to hell. Maybe you've actually told them that. Think of the attitude expressed, all i got to say is the bumper stickers with the Prime Minister's name on them. Or think about the righteous anger that we have at those who exploit children. I'm tempted by it. I'm tempted to call down curses on people. So how is it that Jesus, for example, saved an anti-Christian Jewish jihadist, if I compare those two terms, Saul of Tarsus, who became St. Paul? See, when Levi, who is known as Matthew, when he was called, Jesus summoned a man who, by all accounts, was socially disgusting. He was socially disgusting. A Jew in the service of Rome? It's the worst of the worst. It's what Lenin would have called a useful idiot. A useful idiot for the regime. A tax collector. Tax collector. He, a tax collector is a quizzling, a, a fifth columnist, a traitor, a collaborator. Tax collectors were the agents of the regime taken from among the Jewish people to extort their own kin. If a first century Jew complained about the weakness of Jewish national resistance to the Roman occupation, he would have looked at the tax collectors. Look at those guys. Look at those Jews. They're taken from their own people, exploiting their own people for this regime, this evil pagan regime's sake. To the patriotic Jew, such traitors were socially disgusting. So you go from a skin contagion to a heart contagion to Jesus dealing with this social contagion. But Jesus then, he saves such a person. He, he summons and he compels Levi to follow. Just straight up, follow me, he says in verse 14, and he rose and followed him. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Here is one, that is Jesus, who does not hesitate to speak in a kind of totalitarian manner when he commands them, follow me. And they went and they followed him. 
That is the gospel in action. That is evangelism. That is how the church comes into being. That is the way which the work of God is carried on. Unquote. And I'm going to tell you, you either have to follow the totalitarian lordship demands of Jesus Christ, or you're already under the totalitarian regime of Satan. It's not like, oh well, I'm a free man. You're not. Whose regime are you going to follow? But Jesus does more. He does more than just summon Levi. He saves him, he sums him. Jesus allows himself to enter into the social contagion of the tax collector crowd. (laughs) These people were viewed socially as sinners. In other words, they were the really bad people with the unacceptable views. And Jesus ate with them. And we don't think eating with them is a big deal. But in the first century, who you ate with illustrated who you thought was in the covenant with God. In other words, who you thought was acceptable to God. Jesus ate with these sinners and the scribes and the Pharisees said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like they're just shaking their head. But Jesus pointed out, didn't he? He pointed out the deeper need that he came to address when he said of this social contagion, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is where you come into the picture and where I come into the picture. Because in God's courtroom, there is none righteous. No, not one. Not one. If we're sinners... We like to justify ourselves. We like to say, well, I'm not as bad as those people. Those people that were on the news this week. Those people, whoever those people are. But God doesn't grade on a sliding scale. He demands perfection because He is perfect. So then how can sinners like us, traitors, traitors, to all law, traitors even to our own ideals, but above all, as we read in Psalm 51, traitors against God, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. How then, how can we be perfect in order to satisfy God? And how can we do this when we're polluted, when we're crippled in various ways inside and out? And we can only do this if Jesus himself provides the cleansing as well as the perfection in himself. So the offer is to you, to each one of you today, the offer to you is to be cleansed. To be cleansed. Why? Because Jesus was wiped out at the cross for sinners like you. The offer is to be declared perfect because Jesus never betrayed God. And His resurrection showed that God accepted His pristine loyalty, the the pristine loyalty of the incarnate Son. It is this Jesus. And this Jesus alone, find, find another guru. Find another religious leader. They just can't do the job. 
It is this Jesus who has the authority to forgive sins. Now you might think, oh yeah, I know all this stuff. Yeah, but do you live in accordance with this? Because I'll guarantee, when you're in crisis, and you are, your family is in crisis, your neighbors and friends are in a crisis, your society is in a crisis, and it is all an emergency, the only place you can turn to is the one who can apply emergency measures to cleanse, to cure, and to call you to himself. Samuel Rutherford, the great Scottish covenanter, he said, there is no sweeter fellowship with Christ than to bring our wounds and our sores to him. Do you have wounds and sores today? Sores in your soul? Then you can bring them to Christ in fellowship with him. Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing. Are you? Are you? Jesus is willing. Will you submit to Christ and to his authority today? That is the question for us all. He's willing. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray together. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for thinking that you are unwilling to forgive. Help us to see the generosity that you have shown us in Jesus Christ and lift us up, we pray, even to believe in him. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise and stand and worship such, such a generous God. Please stand. You see Jesus' authoritative call to summon people to follow him. If you've been stirred by that, in wanting to come to faith in Christ yourself, or maybe you've been stirred as a Christian to want to share that. I just want to encourage you as you leave, we've got tracks at the door. These are two ways to live, the choice that we all face. If you want to take one for yourself or want to take one to share it with someone else, I just urge you to take them at the door. But then listen to this. Just think about what it is to be in Christ, in Him. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That is what I want us all to know. The riches of His grace. Grace to bring catharsis. Grace to cure. Grace to call. Look to this Christ today. Go in peace. You're dismissed.